As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The U, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, surge, surge, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, surge, surge. It's a cane thing when we walk through, with the you ain't no bark dude, straight dog when we bring the fight, ain't scared of no bright lights. Welcome back to Wide Right, I'm Manny Navarro, your Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic, joined today by my producer, Mike Zimmerman. The Canes are 7-1, and one, coming off a come-from-behind win, a second straight come-from-behind win on the road in the conference, this time beating Virginia Tech 25-24. The Hokies were a two-and-a-half-point favorite going into the game, and yet the Associated Press poll looks at Miami and says, let's drop them three spots. They move them from ninth to 12th, and now the Hurricanes are even further away from their goal of trying to get into the ACC championship game, which to begin with is a long shot because you need Clemson to either lose another game or Notre Dame to drop two here to, to have any realistic shot. But uh, being ranked high in the poll does matter. I know Manny Diaz today on the Joe Rose show in the morning said that, uh, you know, they don't care about where they're ranked. But certainly there's a lot of people looking at them saying, look, we know you guys are dealing with COVID. We know you had 13 guys out uh, this past game. But these wins have been very narrow. I mean, the last three games by uh, five points or less, and that's the first time that's happened at Miami since 1992. They were a much better program then. They're kind of in a different position now trying to rebuild Manny Diaz is. But still, the critics look at Miami and say they're not really a top 10 team. So, uh, Mike, I'm going to bring you in here now. Uh, what What's sort of burning on your mind as uh, the Hurricanes turn their focus to Georgia Tech this week? Well, I, I think the same things that we've been talking about this program, I guess probably since the Florida State game, or probably the week following after that bye week, we're still talking about now, right? Um, you know, always positives and negatives. Positives are they continue to win. They continue continue to pull out victories, come from behind. But but the negatives are they just don't look good doing it. Now, you know, could we be could we be being greedy? Uh, you know, compared to last season, sure, right? You can make that argument that it's like, hey. They're winning games they weren't last year. They're seven and one. Like what? What is there to complain about? But I guess it's just the way they're doing it. It just, it doesn't look like it's sustainable. It looks like at some point that the, the not the wheels are going to fall off, but maybe some of these breaks aren't going to go their way. 
it's eerily similar to 2017 uh, when Miami kept winning close games. Um, you know, although they did have the, those two big wins against Virginia Tech and, and Notre Dame, but it, it seems very similar to that season where it's not pretty. Um, they continue to pull out victories somehow, but you just don't feel comfortable watching, right? You know, nothing feels comfortable with this team. Yeah, it, it is. It is tough. And you know, one thing I'm going to say here, and, I, and I'm I'm kind of the, the lead to my story that's going to be running the Athletic uh, later today. Uh, is sort of, you know, is it warranted that Miami shouldn't be in the top 10? Because they are 7-1, and one and they do have the third best record in the conference. Um, a couple things to note. They've only got two wins over teams that currently have a 500 record or better. NC State and UAB. Okay? NC State's 5-3, and three, UAB's 4-3. and three. ESPN's College Football Power Index has them 27th behind four other ACC teams. Okay? Clemson, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, who obviously they just beat, and North Carolina. Even winless Penn State and LSU are getting more respect than the Canes in that power football power index that ESPN does. Okay, um, if you go to Pro Football Focus and you and you just rank the teams by conference, and this is their Pro Football Focus's grading system, Miami's eighth. Okay, eighth in the conference behind Notre Dame, Clemson, Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Boston College, and Pittsburgh. They've beaten two of those teams, and yet. If you ask Pro Football Focus, who's obviously sitting there evaluating the way players are playing, they're sitting there scratching their head saying, hey, uh, Miami's basically pulling games out that they shouldn't win. And I think that's the way most people feel, most observers who watch this team. The difference to me from 2017 is they're not creating the turnovers. And Manny Diaz pointed that out on Saturday. Um, you know, they were living and dying with with turnovers. That Malik Rozier was their quarterback. He wasn't a very good quarterback, and yet... They were winning games because the defense was creating all these extra opportunities. This is different in the sense that De'Ar King is is doing a lot of it. Jose Borgales is doing a lot of it. But you also do have some areas where players are getting better. A guy like Jalen Phillips now has become an elite defensive end. Okay, Before the season, you, you were hopeful he'd become a, an elite defensive end. He is now. Uh, to Corey Couch, the sophomore cornerback. He took the starting job away from Al Blades Jr. He is the starter now uh, in the depth chart that Miami released today. He started the last game in front of Al. And, you know, again, you're seeing it in small areas. You're seeing the receivers start to play better. Like D. Wiggins had a career game on Saturday. You know, Mark Pope scored the winning touchdown. He doesn't do that very often. <laughs> um, you know, the offensive line, Zion Nelson has gotten better. He, he's he's become arguably their best offensive lineman. He was their worst offensive lineman last year. So, He's there now a pass. He's not. He's growing. He's now um, a pass catcher too. Don't forget that. What's that? Zion Nelson is now a pass catcher too. Oh yeah, <laughs> right on trick plays. Um, <laughs> but I think it's a fair question to say to, to raise in the sense of you know how much better are they really than last year? And and the difference is their record is better. Their quarterback is significantly better. And well, in the yeah. ACC, real real quick, Manny, it. In terms of program stability and and a program trending in the right direction, um, w- would you agree that we need to see more than just uh, you know a few players developing? What don't we need to see position groups maybe? Because my my point being, Jalen Phillips is going to the NFL after this year. Mm-hmm. Quincy Roche is gone. Derek King's going to be gone. When these players leave after this year, is there going to be continued development? And and I guess I'm worried that when these players 
who have stepped up outside of to Corey Couch are gone, are we going back to square one? Be because because they're so they're relied so heavily on them. Yeah, I think I think you're money there. I think you're absolutely right for saying what you're saying. I think there's a natural reason to be worried about Miami's future. You know, how do you replace De'Aaron King? How do you replace Jalen Phillips and Quincy Roche? Um, the majority of the guys that are performing well, and again, pro football focus isn't the only uh, way you should judge things, but they're all either transfers or seniors. A lot of the young guys are, you know, coming along, but certainly not coming along at the kind of rate that you want them to be coming along at. And and that's the concerning part, that there could be a huge drop-off. But again, so much can change, Mike, from now until, you know, when when next season's games are played. I mean, first of all, will they have spring football? They had four practices this year. Spring football is very important for player development. Um, are you going to have uh, transfers, more transfers that come in. You know, they've got basically four scholarships open, three scholarships open right now, and you don't know how the transfer portal is going to affect things. Will there be another De'Aaron King on the on the quarterback market that Miami can add? Will there be another Jalen Phillips um, that Miami can, can, can bring in? How many of these guys might decide, hey, you know what, I'm going to come back to school for one more year? I, I don't know. I mean, De'Aaron King, the quarterback position is fully loaded in the draft next year, there's a lot of good arms. And is De'Ara King oh, like, okay, that's it, I've proven it? Or does he maybe want to come back next year and say, hey, there's there's not as many great quarterbacks in next year's draft, so I'll, I'll give it a run next year. I don't know. I, I mean, those are all questions that have to be answered. But you're right. I think from a player development perspective and in terms of you know position groups, you, you need more guys to come along faster. But I think a lot of this has been affected by COVID-19, by the pandemic been affected by the fact that they didn't have spring football and much in the way of summer and you know look everybody in the country is dealing with it right but Miami's somehow still finding ways to win games look at look at what's going on at Penn State right look at what's going on at Michigan these teams are just as talented as Miami you go and you look at those rosters and you say where you know where are the four and five they've got those guys they've got talented guys like Miami has but they're not winning and Manny Diaz is yeah I listen like I said from the top these are games they would have lost last year and you can't take anything away from that and you can't be too negative about this right you know seven and one is seven and one you can't take that away from them you can't spin it in 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 any sort of way it's just the the future sustainability based off of what we've been seeing looks very shaky and if they were winning if they were seven and one in manners that they were winning games handily you could say this looks looks consistent because if they do have an off week here and there, they'll be they'll be able to handle it. Whereas now, if they have an off week, it's a toss up whether they win or lose against anybody, even even well, lesser opponents. They had an off week against the Hokies. I mean, they offensively that they gave up six sacks, the most that they had all season. And according to Rhett Lashley and Manny Diaz, I mean that was about as flat a performance. And it wasn't anything that tricked them. It wasn't like Virginia came Virginia Tech came out in some complicated defense that they hadn't seen before. It was a matter of performance this week for, for guys like, you know, DJ Scaife and, you know, uh, Usman Treor, who was filling in for Ja'Kai Clark. I mean, those the interior of Miami's offensive line had a horrendous day against uh, Virginia Tech. And, you know, it was a performance issue. They just didn't play well. They had no, that had nothing to do with COVID. That had everything to do with them just not, you know, coming out and playing the way that they had to. Um, I, I Look, there, there are issues on this team. 
I think certainly linebacker, that is a sort of big question mark moving forward. Bradley Jennings Jr. had his best game as a Hurricane on Saturday. According to Pro Football Focus, he graded out at 74.3, which is by far his best this season. But he's had four bad games. And and even against NC State the week before, it wasn't necessarily great. Um, Sam Brooks Jr. played 73 snaps with Zach McLeod out. And he graded out below average. Corey Flagg, who everybody's all excited about at that position, only played 13 snaps. Um, you know, you still haven't really seen Tyreek Austin Cave or Avery Huff, guys that, you know, are, are sort of the future at that position. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's areas that you, you hope here at some point over the next three games and maybe a bowl game if that happens, um, that the younger guys start to develop. I think it's encouraging that Takori Couch has sort of shown you he's made great strides. I think it's encouraging, you know, that at times before before he got uh, put on the uh, unable to play list this week, Jared Harrison Hunt, um, you know, ha- has has developed and become a, a legitimate pass rusher for Miami. So you see an improvements. Um, I just think, you know, it, it's coming along slowly in large part because of COVID. Let me let me ask you this question because I, I know he kind of had a he had a he had a somewhat of a bounce back game. Cam Harris has he and we we kind of talked about this in, in previous uh, previous episodes where he was upset um, after uh, was it two weeks ago uh, mm-hmm. made some comments. Has he either regained his starting role or has Don Chaney Jr. kind of maybe showed he he deserves to 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 be the starter because in my opinion, I think Chaney has, has proven that he at least deserves a shot at being the starter. Well, I think he's shown flashes of it. And that's the thing with all of these freshmen. It's like they can come in and show flashes, mm-hmm. but there's a reason that they're not on the field for 65 snaps. Like Cameron Harris was the other day. A lot of it has to do with pass protection. Yep. You know, how, how good is Donald Chaney jr. At picking up the blitz. You know, obviously not as good as Cameron Harris, who has more experience at it. Um, I think that's the issue. I think the issue is, you know, can you trust freshmen to be out there? Chris Washington is a scholarship offensive tackle for Miami. And yet when Manny Diaz and Rhett Lashley talked about, you know, who would would have come in on the offensive line with all the guys that they had out on, uh, last Saturday, the second guy was going to be a walk-on, Gavin Adams. Okay, I didn't. To be honest, I mean, I should know all the walk-ons. I didn't know who the hell Gavin Adams was. And he was the guy who was going to come in after Navon Donaldson, who was coming back from a major knee surgery. I mean, that's the kind of dire straits that they were in. But it shows you also the fact that the fact that Washington wasn't on that list that he needs a year to redshirt or whatever. It just shows you like there's certain groups that aren't ready. And and the, and the bottom line is like I think you could I could freshmen, think you could say that over the entire roster. There's just not enough depth. No, that's the major issue. I mean, I think Cameron Harris is going to be the running back going forward as far as the lead running back. He scored a touchdown this week. Mm-hmm. I think he's building some positive momentum. But, you know, I, I sat here, and, and I don't know if you want to go over all this stuff, but I, I literally spent about two and a half hours yesterday going over the pro football focus rankings, okay, for every single player on the team. And and I can tell you, you know, we're talking about is Miami – underperforming or overperforming, okay? Or kind of like what's going on with this roster based on the talent they have and the coaching, okay? Let's start off at quarterback. Derek King is ranked seventh out of 62 Power 5 quarterbacks who qualify, 
Okay, seventh. You're getting an, an elite quarterback performance from him. Last year, Jaron Williams was 62nd out of 76 Power 5 quarterbacks who qualified. Okay, that position you're, you're overwhelmingly better at, and that's why I think they're winning. Running back. Last year, DJ Dallas ranked 33rd out of 111 Power 5 running backs. This is the overall grade, everything they do. Running the ball, missing, you know, creating uh, missed tackles, receiving. Every, these are, you know, this is the overall grade from Pro Football Focus. He, ran, uh, he ranked 33rd out of 111. Now he's, he's playing for an NFL team, the Seattle Seahawks, who, who, by the way, are doing pretty well. Uh, and he's playing for them. He's not just like the eighth guy. He's playing. Um, this year, Cameron Harris is 71st out of 87 running backs in terms of the overall grade among power five backs. That's a huge drop off, yeah. right? You go, I mean, his, his grade is like way down. Um, Jalen, um, Knighton is 55th. Well, Jalen Knighton isn't playing as much as Cameron Harris. So that, that kind of dispels that. Um, and Donald Chaney Jr. is 85th out of 87 guys in among power five schools at the running back position. Okay. That's what you're getting out of the running back spot right now at receiver. Uh, Mike Harley is 37th out of 157 receivers. That's the top 20%, right? It's just about, mm-hmm. about top 20, 25%. He is, he is up there. He is performing at a higher level. But you look at Mark Pope and D. Wiggins, that's 114th and 122nd. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> so you have a huge drop-off. Last year, uh, Jeff Thomas ranked 62nd out of 217 receivers, and K.G. Osborne was 141st out of 217. So, you know... You basically got you still just like last year. You have one receiver who's explosive, like Mike Harley and Jeff Thomas were kind of those guys. You're down at running back. You're not getting the same production that you were from DJ Dallas, and your quarterback is much better than Jaron Williams. So it's kind of a wash, right? I mean, when you look at just those three skill positions in offense, what do you? What's your view of that? All right, uh, two things. One, if it's a wash compared to last year, and last year we were saying how that that was the worst offense we've seen in Miami in quite a long time. That's not mm-hmm. good for this year, you know? It just shows you how much they're depending on Derek King to get over the And top. that was my second point. Yeah. is I, I keep going back to, to sustainability, right? Because, because that's essentially what building a program is. You don't want one year where everything lines up and you win 10 games, but then once all, the, once all that talent leaves, then you're back down to being an average, average program, right? It, it's about building sustainability and winning 10 games every single year. If you're relying solely on Derek King to do anything on offense, that's not sustainable. Because at some no. point, defenses are going to say, we are going to take away Derek King and make somebody else beat us. And Miami has shown this year, they don't have anybody else on offense to do that. Mm-hmm. So I'm yeah, just, I, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm worried that we haven't seen development or, or enough development anywhere else on the offensive side of the ball. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, I, I mentioned Zion Nelson earlier, right? Okay, let's look at the offensive tackles. Both of the offensive tackles are better than the two offensive tackles they had last year in terms mm-hmm. of their grades. Um, Nelson has vastly improved. He was one of the worst in the country last year. Now he's one of the better ones. You're missing Navon Donaldson, right? And Navon Donaldson was actually their highest-graded offensive lineman last year overall. Um, and yet, you know, he's he hasn't played it down. He was kind of the emergency guy. He will be back next year. So that's an upgrade, at least at one of the guard positions. Um, Corey Gaynor is playing better than last year, but not extremely better. He ranks 41st out of 75 uh, centers. Actually, that's what he was last year. This year, he's actually... 45th out of 55 centers, so he's actually worse. His grade is actually down. Um, yeah, the tackles are better. The guards are worse on the offensive line. Um, tackle is an important position, though. So, I mean, look, they've given up, I think of their 25 sacks, they've given up 22 over the last five games. Over the first three games, they only gave up three. So it's starting to come through now that the offensive line is not playing as well. But they were without Ja'Kai Clark this week, who was their regular starter, and they had Usman Treyer, who's the backup in there. So I don't know. I mean, to me, it's like they've made strides, but not big enough strides as well, far as the offensive line is concerned. Now, with that, you know, as a, as a as a whole, is it a, mm-hmm. is it a good thing or a bad thing? I I kind of know the answer. That Miami seven and one, and we're continuing to talk about all these issues or or, or inconsistencies on on this team. I mean that because I I I hate taking away from seven and one, right? You know you just ranked number nine, still ranked number 12th right now in the country. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, fe- I guess it, fe- a- it feels dirty to me to, to continue to, to, to nitpick. But again, it's not necessarily nitpicking when these are consistent problems. No, I mean, these are all fair concerns. I mean, these are all fair concerns, but I think also what you need to remember is the freshman and, and even the sophomore class, like, in, in the old days at Miami, when they were great, those dudes really didn't play. I mean, sometimes you had a few great sophomores that played. But for the most part, the freshmen, like, they're supposed to be playing the role they are now, where they come in in garbage time. And you're not – and let's not forget, all of these games being close, they haven't had a lot of garbage time. Like, all of the freshmen that they recruited in this last signing class, they only played against Florida State because it was 52 to 10. And and I think that's something that's certainly missing. Like when you get a chance to blow out teams, you can put guys in there for live snaps and they feel better and they get confidence. Now you got a bunch of these guys that just they're not playing. They're not practicing. A lot of them have been out now because of COVID or, or contact tracing. So they've missed several weeks of, of, of practice time. But it's been a mess in a lot of ways. It yeah. really has. Um, let's let's go to defense because I feel like you know, I know we're talking about a lot of the negative, but one thing I'll say about Jalen Phillips, he's now ranked fifth among 171 Power Five pass rushers in terms of his overall grade. And he's and a he special is, player, man. He really is, and, and he's showing you that as a former five-star recruit with a little bit of coaching, you know, you can really move up the chain. And you know, I think he's put himself in a position to get drafted now. Like realistically, I think you know there wasn't enough film of him. You know, he didn't do really do enough at UCLA. He had the you know, the car accident that he was involved in where he got hit hit on his uh, scooter. And then, you know, just it, it felt like there were a lot of questions about Jalen. But I think over the last four games, the amount of snaps that he's played, the amount of plays that he's made, being the ACC Defensive Lineman of the Week now two weeks in a row, 
I think he's he's definitely put enough on tape to to get the attention of NFL scouts. I I, I agree, and I think him and Roche have, have really played off of each other very well. You know, be, becoming two bookend pass rushers, and not only in pass rush, but they've done a good job of playing the run as well. And I think that I think that's a big key when you have so so many linebackers who have been underperforming that if you if you can if you can stop the run at the line of scrimmage, that's less work that the linebackers have to worry about. Roche, by the way, um, is twenty first out of a one hundred seventy one power five uh, pass rushers last year Miami really had four guys at that position that were good you mm-hmm. had Garvin you obviously had Gregory Rousseau uh, you had Patchen and Trevon Hill who all ranked in the top 75 among 256 edge, uh, edge rushers so they were literally in the upper echelon uh, in those categories this year you've basically got two elite edge rushers and then you got one supremely good defensive tackle because Nessa Silvera Actually ranks 26th out of the defensive out of 147 defensive tackles in Power Five, according to this. And and last year, you know Pat Bethel, John Ford, and Nesta were all graded lower, but uh, he's in the in the elite company this year. And and you know what, Nesta might be another guy you end up losing because he may consider to make the jump if if you know he he continues on the sort of upward uh, trajectory the rest of the season. I think there's a chance of that. But you've basically had three elite. Defensive tackles last year, it was the four ends, and you got solid play out of the D tackles. One thing I will say is John Ford is, has started to play a lot better since he uh, basically got benched in front of Jared and you know Jared Harrison Hunt. Um, he's he had his two best games the last two weeks in terms of his uh, PFF grade, so that's that's encouraging, and and he's starting to play a lot better. And, and Manny Diaz took note of that today as well. All right, um, linebacker remains a tremendous issue. Um, even with uh, Bradley Jennings getting his best grade of the season this week, um, all three of the linebackers for Miami, these are the rankings among Power 5 uh, linebackers, according to Pro Football Focus. Zach McLeod is 126th, Bradley Jennings is 124th, and Sam Brooks Jr. is 142nd out of 148 <laughs> linebackers. Oh, boy. Yeah, the one thing I'll say about Brooks, <clears throat> he has been injured, and I think you know he's kind of been fighting through a foot injury. Um, he is not a natural linebacker; he played edge rusher, and I think that's the one position where you know you talk about player development that you wish guys were getting better. Um, that's something that I think you, you certainly wish the linebackers, you know, Corey Flagg and Sam Brooks Jr. Both of those guys were taking steps forward, but. You know, it's just been it's been a bad year. Uh, Corey Flagg missed two games in a row because of the whole COVID thing, and uh, Brooks, as I said, was battling injuries. So that's that's why you haven't seen an upgrade at that spot. Yeah, and at this point, we need to see improvement from there because if not, you're you're going to see maybe some freshmen who come in next year just t- you will just walk into those positions because Correct. because I mean that's not. You're not going to win many games with, with, and not only that though; those are your three starting linebackers. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. not, it's it's not like you know, you've got one of them and then the other two linebackers. No, all three of them are on the field majority of the time, and you can't have that. Well, I think the hope is Corey Flagg will eventually move into that middle linebacker spot and, and take over. He's he's more of a natural fit there than I think and uh, Bradley he, Jennings is. And he's shown more flashes, I believe, at least in my opinion, mm-hmm. 
than uh, Sam Brooks and, and Bradley Jennings. I think Flag has 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 doesn't have the consistency right now, but has shown the the peak flashes that that I think we were waiting to see. Yeah, and and everybody took for granted Shaq Quarterman and Michael Pickney. By the way, I mean they were ranked 13th and 20th among Power Five linebackers, like 215. They were elite, and I know everybody was like, "Oh, they're not that good. They're not making that many plays." It's like. Well, you miss them now because you're giving up more than 50 yards a game on the ground than you were a year ago. And I and I also think the thing with with Shaq and Pinkney is that they were performing at a high level right away as freshmen too. You mm-hmm. know, so so just because we didn't necessarily see that improvement, they were just consistently steady freshmen all the way through senior. And I think that's why we kind of maybe underrated them a bit and maybe mm-hmm. took them for granted because it was just so consistently steady that you know we just got used to it one thing i will say gilbert frierson is actually graded out higher than romeo finley did last year and remember he was finley's backup at the striker position finley Mm -hmm. uh, graded at 64.5 and i think right now um frierson's at at 67.3 and he's a guy who will be back next year he's he's a redshirt sophomore he's not going to get drafted he will be back for his junior year and i think he's he's somebody again that striker position is important for miami i think you know, he's a guy that certainly will be counted on going into next year. Um, and then to Corey Couch, we mentioned him earlier. I think I mentioned the rankings of, of what he, Ivy, and Blades are ranked. But 38th, 109th, and 132nd, and, and now Blades is on the bench. He's he's coming off the bench behind Couch. So. And DJ Ivy himself didn't have a great game either against Virginia Tech. It almost looked like the old DJ no, Ivy. They both- both he and Blade scored under below average. Yeah. Uh, Couch, obviously, uh, like I said, his two best grades in a row the last two weeks. So that's a promising sign. The safety position with Bolden and Carter and Hall, um, just to show you their rankings for this year. And you had better play from Gervin Hall last year, but Bolden is 104th out of 166 safeties among Power 5 safeties. His overall grade, it's below average. Yeah, he. it's almost like he's fallen off a cliff. I mean, yeah, he started off really the season. Struggled. Yeah, he started off the season really well, and it has just. It, it's sometimes he's just he disappears, takes terrible angles, uh, especially you know in run defense. But I don't know, man. It, it's because we had so many high hopes. We saw last season was playing really well, then got hurt uh, against Florida State, and now started off the season really well again, and then kind of just disappeared. Yeah, he, he's really struggled. Um, below average scores each of his last five games, um, but he's still the highest rated safety. So what does that tell you? Everybody else is um, worse. Amari Carter is 124th out of 166 safeties, and Gervin Hall is 112th out of 166 safeties. They're both uh, – Hall obviously rated a little higher, but that's it's it's been kind of a disappointing year for him. But I think he's playing hurt. I think that's the other aspect. I don't know if you've seen how many times he's been sort of limping around. Yeah. I don't think – I think he's sort of fighting through it, you know? Mm-hmm. So basically, through all these rankings, I think it's safe to say that this team is carried by the Eric King and the defensive line, right? And yeah. and and I think even even in the eye test too, you know, throwing out all the PFF rankings, I think by the eye test, it's that's safe to say as well. An, an excellent field goal kicking from Jose. Bordales yes, of course, fourteen of fifteen. Yes, we can't I mean, for, can't forget that. No, and even the punting of Lou Headley, who who also was ACC Player of the Week. I mean, he, he you basically he, have he, phenomenal he special stop, teams play he, from the kickers. He needs to stop shoving people in the face, though. Yeah, he does. You basically have phenomenal kicking, um, really good defensive ends, and a quarterback who is elite. That is what you're winning with, with one senior receiver who is finally coming around, some average, you know, average to above average offensive tackle play. And, you know, really not a consistent running game. I mean, it's it's crazy, but 
I mean, in some ways, can you say that Manny Diaz is, I don't know, getting everything he can out of this roster to this point? Or what, how do you sort of view that? You know, the old cliche of he's not coaching him up. What, how do you view when you see those PFF scores, you say Manny's not doing a good job coaching or do you say it's crazy that they're seven and one? <laughs> so that that goes back to are they underperforming or over overperforming, right? Right. It, and and but then okay, so here's the thing when when it comes to college football and, and in terms of looking at at, you know, each each program's talent, right? You can say yes, these players aren't good enough and they're not developing them, but you can also right. say the coaching staffs are the ones recruiting these players and bringing them in. So if the talent's just not good enough, they're the coaching staffs are the one are the ones to blame. And but then again, you look at this roster and say seven and one with this roster is pretty darn impressive. Well, here here's what I got for you because you, the talent question always comes up, and I and I did the research last week. I haven't updated this, but. I basically compared Miami to the top four teams in the country in terms of talent. Okay, and this is two, four, seven talent rankings. Okay, they're, they're composite rankings. Um, offensively, Miami averages three and a half stars. Okay. Okay. They've got no five stars on offense. Clemson averages three point eight three. Ohio State four point oh six. Notre Dame three point seven eight, and Alabama four point one one. Okay. So they're not as talented offensively as those teams. No. They're just not. No. Defensively, two four seven rankings again. This is a this is a and mind you, these I didn't just do the starters. I did everybody who plays. I literally went through and did snap counts and said, okay, this guy's really a part of the rotation. So I did that for every team. Oh, all, and all, I think so too four. because it, it again depth yeah. is huge in college football. So it's yeah. not just the starters. Yeah. Um, Miami. Okay, this is defense. Okay. Miami has a four point oh six. Star rating. If you just average the 19 guys that are playing on a regular basis, Clemson actually has worse, 3.67. Okay, and that's because they have a couple of no-star kids like Reagan Opshaw and Nolan Turner who are playing. Uh-huh. Um, so that kind of throws it off. But if you if you really go through it with a fine-tooth comb, Clemson's got one, two, three, four, five, six five-star guys playing on their defense. Yep. Okay, Miami has one. So they're not as talented as Clemson, okay? It's just that's the fact. Um, Ohio State, ridiculous. Their defense has 4.65, uh, 247 average, okay? Um, they've got one, two, three, five stars starting, and the rest are all four stars with the exception of one player. Notre Dame, 3.88, okay? They don't have any five stars either, and it's a mix of four and three stars. So Notre Dame's defense, I don't think they're elite. But they're getting the job done because they're undefeated. And it's, uh, so, uh, so let's take that ex- for an example. Is that coaching? Mm-hmm. Is that like X's and O's? Is that develop player development? Why? Why is Notre Dame getting more out of their defense than Miami's is out of theirs? Well, I, I think sometimes it's just coaching. It could be uh, you know health issues. It could be who they have available week to week to week. Um, you know, I think again we're just measuring talent in this argument, but. I think certainly you could say Miami's at least on the same level as Notre Dame, if not a little better, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, 4.06 and 3.88, it's not that much of a separator um, in terms of, of your talent. Um, I just think they're playing better. Sometimes you just have a better cohesion, you know, better cohesion between the units. I think linebacker play has been better, you know, a lot better for Notre Dame than Miami as I sit here and c- compare the PFF grades. 
Um, they're starting – they're three linebackers all grayed out above average. Miami's well below average. So that's that's certainly one way to put it. And their edge rushers are comparable, not the same level, but certainly comparable. They're they're grading out above – well above average. They're, they're, they're edge rushers, and they've got uh, one or two defensive tackles that are okay. They're above average. I mean – it's 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 hard, but look, Notre Dame's winning. They beat Clemson at home. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they 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 won that game forty-seven to forty. Um, Alabama certainly more talented than Miami. They have a four point two four average. They've got one, two, three, four, five star guys in their lineup, including you know arguably the best cornerback in football in, in Patrick Sertan. So I don't know, man. I, like that's I don't know if that answers your talent question or not, but. I, I don't know. I, I think it certainly should help provide a little bit more perspective, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's still – all right, so I guess we, we we still haven't even answered the, I guess, the main question. I guess we'll wrap up with this. Is Miami underperforming or, or overperforming? <laughs> um, because it, it, this season has just been yeah, – aside from all the outside stuff that has been weird with this season, the actual – games have been so confusing with this Miami team, right? Yeah. I, I, I think it's really – I think it's just a really hard question to answer, Mike. I think do, in some do, ways – Do you think, like do you think after the season we'll have a better idea? We could. I think once we see how everybody else finishes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's certainly something to say that Penn State is winless and LSU is 2-3, and three, right? Mm-hmm. Like those teams are just as talented as Miami. I can go look up their star rankings if you want, but I, I just think – in the end, you know, Manny Diaz is winning games and a lot of other people aren't. And Miami, I think what you can say with, with definitive, uh, with a definitive feeling is Miami doesn't have as much talent as the elite teams to be dominating opponents. I think they're kind of on par with everybody else. And when you throw COVID into the mix, it's kind of like you're lucky that you're seven and one right now. You're fortunate and you should just be happy that you're seven and one Mm -hmm. because Virginia tech would swap with them in a heartbeat. Pittsburgh would swap with them in a heartbeat. I mean, all these other teams that, you know, they've beaten uh, would love to be Miami right now. And in the end, that's what you wanted for Manny Diaz. You didn't want to go six and seven again. You're seven and one and you've got a chance here with to, to finish with a really good recruiting class. I think that's the most important thing. Well, I guess we'll, uh, We'll eventually get that answer, I think, right? Or, or, or at least it'll become a little more clear, hopefully. It could. It will. It will, I think. Good. It will. One more thing, Mike. I wanted to make sure we got this in. Uh, Rhett Lashley was asked today about becoming a head coach down the road. Obviously, Kirk Herbstreet in the past has mentioned him as a potential candidate in, in light of the recent firing at South Carolina of the head coach. Uh, you know, the, there's, there's an opportunity potentially that – that a guy like Rhett could get a look uh, at, at one of those jobs. Here's what uh, Rhett had to say. That's a fair question. Um, and, and the honest truth, that's the first I've really heard of it, um, probably just because I'm so invested in what we're doing right now. It, it's going to be that time of year where those kinds of things swirl every year. Um, if, in fact, that's the case, I think that's just a big uh, compliment, really, to our players, um, to our assistant coaches, um, you know, to the program that um, Coach Diaz is building that I'm really happy to be a part of. Um, you know, Miami's a destination spot. Um, this is a great place to be. And I really am enjoying, you know, the process of building this program um, to what Coach Diaz, you know, I think his vision is for it. Uh, I love our offensive staff. I love our whole staff. I love our players and, and helping them be a part of 
this process of what we're trying to build on offense. It's a process. We're, we're clearly nowhere near where we want to be. Um, and that's the truth. Uh, to the other part of your question, I, I think the how is, yeah, if the opportunity ever presented itself and I was blessed with that, I think there's not many guys in our profession who don't maybe dream of that opportunity um, one day. But I think I learned really all the way back, believe it or not, in 2011 when I was at Sanford University, um, you got to be where your feet are. And you've got to enjoy where you are because if you don't do a really good job where you are, then none of that other stuff really matters. Um, so I'm really invested in what we're doing here. I'm really excited about what we're building. I think the best is far yet to come, and uh, and I'm really committed to that. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this week's Wide Right. Uh, make sure to follow me on Twitter at Manny underscore Navarro. Follow Mike at Mike C. Zim on Twitter. And uh, make sure to read us at theathletic.com um, and listen to uh, my weekly radio show, my daily radio show, Monday through Friday at onsideradio.com. 305-954-568. This is the state of Miami. Y'all know y'all come down that way.